Take your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Bet you thought I was going to say Leviticus. As I mentioned out at the farm last Sunday, we're taking a two-Sunday hiatus from our series in the book of Leviticus to preview our upcoming series in the book of Hebrews. What we try to do here at Grace Baptist Church is go back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, given our plan to head into the book of Hebrews, we thought that it would be most beneficial to us as a congregation to walk through the book of Leviticus in advance of that, because much of Hebrews does not make sense unless you have done some good study in the book of Leviticus. And so in order to preview that coming series in the book of Hebrews, last Sunday we looked at Psalm 110, one of the royal psalms, a messianic psalm, and now this morning we want to turn to another hymn, interestingly enough, written by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Our theme this year has been gospel purity remaining deeply rooted in Jesus, and our theme that it will start in the month of January, which is coming quicker than we can uh, possibly imagine, will be uh, gospel fulfillment, uh, maintaining an upward focus on Christ. And so we have certainly, I hope, exalted God this morning. And we want to continue to do so, in particular, focus in on the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So for uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, follow along with me if you would as I read. And if you are new to grace, everything we do here is based on the word of God. Jesus himself said to sanctify us by truth. His word is truth, and so it's not based on our opinions or thoughts or different things that's based on the Word of God. So we want you to have the Word of God in front of you, follow along. If you do not have a Bible, then somewhere in the chairs uh, in front of you, unless you're sitting in the front row, there should be a black uh, Bible, black covered Bible. And in that Bible, it is on page 294, 294, Colossians chapter 1, starting to read at verse 15. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of God. Of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of God. I don't know if you're like me, but I oftentimes struggle with distractions. I've not been diagnosed with any issues, although those that know me know that I have a lot that would be undiagnosed or self-diagnosed. But distractions, if you see my laptop and I'm on the internet, I have about 15 or 20 tabs open at any given time and at least 15 to 20 or 30 documents all open at the same time, kind of flitting between uh, each thing and hopefully getting at least something accomplished. But my main distraction, the one distraction that causes everything to grind to a halt is a fly. Rarely, because our building is fairly secure, does a fly find its way into my office. But if one ever does, all other work, conversations, and everything immediately ceases. I go into my closet where I have my fly swatter, which has conquered many a fly over the years. There's evidence still remaining, but we will move quickly on. The fly must be murdered so that I can get some work done. <laughs> Silly that something so small can be so annoying and can cause all actual work, things that are important, much more important than the life of a fly to stop. But I think we have lived through and perhaps are still living in a time of distraction. There's a lot of things that are buzzing about that are distracting us from not just the things that we should be doing, but the person that we should be worshiping. There are articles aplenty, podcasts every day, and new ones being created. There is news media that has gone from a specific time during the day to 24 hours. If you want distractions, they're there. And they are not just passive, they are actively calling for your attention. They want you to get away from the things that we should be thinking about, the person who we should be adoring. No, 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 this needs your attention. This needs your zeal and enthusiasm. And so we find ourselves distracted. But what I want to do this morning is call us back to a person, Jesus Christ the righteous, in whose presence all other things fall away. Everything pales in comparison to Jesus Christ the righteous. And while we could get distracted and talk about an innumerable amount of counterfeit Christs, an innumerable amount of distractions that we could busy ourselves with. I believe the best approach is to bask in 
the glory of Christ, to be still and behold him. And all of a sudden, the noise calms down. The distractions fade away. And we are re-centered and re-grounded in who we are, who he is, more importantly, and what we are to be doing, which is to bring him glory. This passage of scripture is one of the greatest Christological statements in all of the Bible. It is, many believe, a hymn from verses 15 through 20, penned by the Apostle Paul to a group of people that are being distracted. Church at Colossae is being distracted. There's a lot of philosophies, isms, ideologies that are out there that are like pesky flies buzzing around the church at Colossae. And Paul could have written a book that would have been probably four times or five times as large, a letter I should say, four or five times larger than it is, to try to deal with each one of these distractions. But instead he takes the approach that I think is the better approach to say, whatever the distraction. Focus on Jesus, and the distraction fades away. And so we see in verses 15 through 17 that Jesus Christ the righteous is preeminent in creation. Everything owes its existence to him. And I would again, as Pastor Luke already has, invite you next Sunday evening at 6.30 p.m., September 25th, to a theology forum on a biblical theology of the origin of everything. Seems like a fairly big topic, but we have a big God. Christ is preeminent in creation. Notice in verse 15a, he is the God-man, the exact representation of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Not just a representation of God, like we would represent somebody with a statue or maybe on a coin, but the actual exact representation of God in human form. John 1.18 lets us know that nobody has seen God, but if we have seen the Son, we have seen God. And Jesus Christ will tell Philip in John 14, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God, 100% God, 100% man. To see him is to see God and all that God is. Notice in the second place that he is sovereign over all creation, the firstborn of all creation. Unfortunately, some ancient heretics latched onto this verse and attempted to say that Jesus then is created. He may be the best created thing, but he is created, and that is not what the word firstborn means there. We know this for two reasons. In verse 16, it says, For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created. And so it's difficult for a created being to be both created and creator simultaneously. So Paul clearly cannot be saying, even in the context, that Christ is a created being because everything that has been created, everything other than God is created, has been created by him. So he's not a created being. 
And we know that this is the proper definition of the word firstborn because of verse 18 where Christ is called the firstborn from the dead. Christ is not the first to have risen back to life from the dead. There are Old Testament stories of individuals being brought back to life from the dead. And Christ himself brought at least three people back to life from the dead during his earthly ministry. The word firstborn then in good Old Testament usage, Psalm 89 among them, simply means the most preeminent one. And so he is sovereign over all creation. He is not a created being, but he is sovereign over all of creation. And then, of course, thirdly, he is the creator of all things, for by him all things were created. All things in heaven or on earth, the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, we have not even fully uh, viewed our own planet. There are parts of planet earth that have not been seen by any humans, even yet, let alone the heavenlies. We sent out the Hubble telescope, and now we've sent out another telescope. And it's sending back images that are breathtaking. And we still have not explored even the known universe. And all of these things were spoken into existence by Jesus Christ the righteous. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Everything that is, apart from the one who is God, owes its existence to God and specifically to Jesus Christ the righteous. He then is the goal of all things. Notice the last three words of verse 16, and for him. He is where all creation is headed. He is the one who in Philippians chapter 2, it is said that all will bow before him and give him reverence. He is the one about whom we've been singing. It is for his glory that all things have been created. He is the sustainer of all things. Notice verse 17b, and in him all things hold together. All things get their existence, owe their existence to him, and all things owe their continuation to him. He is the giver and sustainer of life. And we skip 17a, and he is before all things. He is preeminent then in creation. Before chronologically, before in time, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. He is before all things chronologically and he is before all things in rank and order. He is preeminent over all of creation. And those individuals that do not honor him, worship him as Lord of all creation, do so to their own detriment. And we see the effects. Rather than the utopia that continually is promised to us by those who would take us away from God, we do not find utopia. We do not find even a life that is free from major interruptions. But instead we find disaster on many fronts. Only by bowing the knee to Jesus Christ the righteous. Only by worshiping him as preeminent in all of creation does any of his creation make sense. It's fascinating in preparation for the Theology Forum. Reading some books by Stephen Meyer. The intricacy 
of God's creation. And the further down we go into microbiology and some of these things, and chemistry and others, the more we see the hand of the one who brought it into existence. The vast, the sheer amount of information required so that you are sitting here this morning is beyond our, our ability to comprehend. And it all just fairly screams. There's a designer for this design. And we know his name. It's Jesus. But notice starting in verse 18 that Jesus Christ is also preeminent in reconciliation. He is the God-man sovereign over his church, 18a, and he is the head of the body of the church. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is sovereign over his church, over his body, over his people. And we, only by his grace, recognize that and are grateful for it. He also has created the church. He brought it into existence, verse 18. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. By his resurrection, we all have hope of resurrection and of life. He alone, in his resurrection, proved that by his death he conquered sin. And because he conquered sin, he also conquered sin's penalty, which is death. And therefore, those for whom sin's penalty has been paid... No longer fear death. Death is a defeated foe. And so Christ is the preeminent one in his church, the preeminent one of individuals that will be resurrected, his church, his body, his family. Notice verses 19 to the first part of 22, he's also preeminent in love. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. There is no reason for God to love us. We are not lovable. We are far less amazing than we believe ourselves to be. But notice, we sometimes think that God the Father is perpetually angry, consistently disappointed in us, and thank God for the Son, who seems to be a little bit more chill, or else we'd all be under God's wrath. But notice in verse 19, for in him Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God does not begrudgingly love you. God does not love you because he has to, because he doesn't have to do anything. He's God. God loves you because he wants to. (laughs) And it is God the Father's love, together with the love of the Son and the Spirit, that sent the Son to live righteously, die sacrificially, and raise to life again from the dead triumphantly. God is not up in the heavenlies with a frown on his face. I'd love to smite these people, but my son went and died, so I guess I'll I'll save them. 
Father loves us. God the Father knows you more intimately than you even know yourself. He knows all of your pain. He knows all of your sin. He knows all of your struggle. He knows all of your regrets. Those things that only you know. You have not even shared them with the ones that you are closest to. All of it he knows and so much more. And in spite of all of the things that would repel him, that draws him to you in love. He loves you. It pleased God to dwell in human form for the purpose of reconciliation. Things are a mess. And we, if we were in charge, would have long ago thrown up our hands in despair and desperation and washed our hands of the whole lot. And yet, what does God do? He loves. He loves. And he actively works with those who were once alienated, foreigners to the love of God and to the family of God, hostile in mind. We didn't just sin, we loved to sin. And we didn't just uh, be indifferent towards God. We hated God. And God has now reconciled us or provided the way of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. What then is the goal of that reconciliation? The rest of verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach to him. God loves you as you are, yes, but he loves you too much to leave you there. We sometimes get the first part of that right and twist it to mean... That we can stay the way that we are. But no, God loves us way too much to leave us in our rebellion and in our sin. He has a goal for reconciling us to him. He is perfect. And if we were like him, we would actually live in perfection. In a world that would be absent guilt and jealousy and pain and lust and power struggles and sin and hatred and all of these things. None of these things would be a reality. And none of these things, praise God, will be a reality in the life to come. But if we were as he is, we would be perfect. The way to utopia is not any of the ways that our society has attempted to come up with over the millennia of time that we've been on this planet. There is only one way, Jesus Christ the righteous. And only in submitting to him can we be reconciled to him and be being made and remade in his image. He is the sustainer of the church, verse 23. If indeed, or that word could maybe perhaps better be translated, since indeed you will continue in the faith. There is a note in Paul's original language uh, of confidence in their faith in Christ, which he has heard from uh, uh, Tychicus and Philemon and others. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Are there issues in our province and in our country? Yes. Are some of our rights being challenged and, ever, and even being removed? Yes. Should we be concerned about that? In some ways, yes. But here's the reality. Where is our hope? 
Is our hope in legislation? Is our hope in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms? Is our hope in politicians or scientists or those in the medical field? Where is our hope? It ought to be in Jesus Christ the righteous. Paul says to the church of Colossae, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of flies buzzing about. Jesus isn't God. And you need more knowledge. And you need to go this way. No, go this way. No, study this. No, follow this program. Listen to this podcast. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. Buzz, buzz, buzz. And what does Paul say in this cacophony of distractions? He says, look to Jesus. He is your hope. He is our hope. I don't know if you've been told recently, but in case you haven't, let me remind you, you don't have any guaranteed rights. You have rights as a Canadian citizen. We thank God for those. But if all of those were taken away and Canada was turned into North Korea or any other uh, ancient uh, country or modern country without a lot of rights, Nothing about your status with the one who has created all things changes. And that, I would contend, is far more important, of far greater importance than all of the many distractions that are buzzing around us. Paul says your hope is not in a philosophy. Your hope is not in a philosopher. Your hope is to be found in no one else but Jesus Christ the righteous. Your hope is found, my hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I was a sinner, alienated from God and hostile in my mind towards him, daily, consistently, and lovingly per, uh, 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 committing acts that were evil, reveling in my rebellion. And God, who is rich in mercy, found me, changed me forever on that day, and continues to change me, and one day will fully change me in glory. And that's my life. I have been crucified, Paul says, with Christ. The day that Jesus met you is the day that all of your guaranteed rights ended. Are we thankful for our rights? Yes. But are they guaranteed? Never. But what is guaranteed? That if we have faith, if we repent and have faith in Jesus Christ the righteous, we will be saved. We will be transformed by the gospel to become the people that we originally created to be. In one glorious day, we will finally become all that God created us to be, and we will be that way for all of eternity. That is our hope, both now and in the future. And so we skipped a part. Verse 18b. That in everything, he, Jesus Christ, might be preeminent. Preeminent. Of greatest importance. Ultimate. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven or on earth. I am continually 
disturbed to find the church of Jesus Christ not be the church of Jesus Christ, but be the church of someone or something else. I pray and I encourage you to pray with me and all of the elders here at Grace Baptist Church that Grace Baptist Church continues to be a church that honors Jesus Christ above all things. If you start hearing politics from this pulpit, if you start hearing my pet peeves from this pulpit, if you start hearing hobby horses from this pulpit, if you start hearing rants that are not a part of Scripture from this pulpit, please talk to me. And if they continue, fire me. Because my role and all the roles of the elders here is to uphold this book and the person of Jesus Christ and nothing else. He is preeminent in the church. He's the only hope. The people that you work with and go to school with and live next to do not have hope if they do not have Jesus Christ. And changing their politics is not going to give them hope. Changing their sexuality is not going to give them hope. Changing their views on liberalism and feminism and all the isms that are out there is not going to give them hope. There is only one hope, and it's Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's who we hold to be preeminent in the church, or ought to. Why are we being distracted by all the buzzing noise? I need to preach that to myself next time I have a fly in my office. So what is our response then this morning Grace Baptist and all that are watching online, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That is our message, consistently, Sunday in and Sunday out. Whether we are in the book of Leviticus, Habakkuk, Jonah, Micah, Deuteronomy, Colossians, Ephesians, Revelation, Daniel, whatever book we're in, this book speaks about one person, Jesus Christ the righteous, all the way from cover to cover. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the one we proclaim. He is the one who loves us, and that is the reason we love him. And that needs to be our message and our life. And so Grace Baptist Church and those watching online, ask God to help you avoid distraction. And maybe, as Jesus says to his disciples, that's going to take some pretty drastic measures. But avoid distraction and focus on him. He is our hope. He is the goal, even and especially in heaven. If all that you may be looking forward to in heaven could still be glorious to you without Jesus Christ, you need to rethink your vision of heaven. What makes heaven amazing is that is where God is, God with us, to be in his presence to meet the one who loves us and died for us and to thank him for all eternity. This is our hope. He is to be preeminent. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, there have always been and there continue to be distractions. 
And sometimes they buzz so loud and fly so close to our face and our mind that it seems that we cannot but pay them attention. That we must shift our focus from that which is preeminent or ought to be and instead bother ourselves with that, with, with that which is bothering us. Father, forgive us. And Father, help us moving forward to not get distracted. Are there important things as outworkings of the gospel? Yes. Do these things need our attention? Yes. But Father, in and through and over and to it all, may it all be about you. Forgive us from being distracted and help us to stay focused. To focus on you. You are our hope. You are our purpose and our goal. You are to be preeminent in all things. May that be a reality in our lives. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.